going to ask you to remain standing this morning as the Word of our God is read. We'll be in Exodus 20, looking at verses 18 through 21. The people of Israel are gathered around Mount Sinai. The Lord's given very clear instruction. The boundaries around Mount Sinai, they could come near the mountain, but not too close. And by the time we get through reading these verses, that's not a problem for the people of Israel. Uh, They want to um, back away from the mountain because they are hearing the audible voice of the Lord. Uh, And it is terrifying. So let me read for us verses 18 through 21 of Exodus 20. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the holy and inspired word of our God. Let's pray. Lord, we are in awe of You, that You would speak to us and give us Your Word in a way that can be understood. Lord, we thank You for uh, this Word. At least we think we're thankful for this Word. Uh, Lord, help our understanding now. Give us discernment. Illumine our hearts by Your Holy Spirit. Uh, Speak faithfully uh, through Your servant. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I have a great admiration for the late Steve Irwin. Uh, some of you know that name, or maybe better know that name as the Crocodile Hunter. Um, Steve had a love for all kinds of animals, particularly uh, you know animals that you and I might consider rather dangerous and wouldn't want to uh, use for pets. Steve was a a natural handler of animals and often called upon to help uh, remove uh, or catch uh, these dangerous animals. Uh, Things like crocodiles and snakes. I have this picture in my mind of one of these episodes where um, Steve was called into an area village and there was a hut and people were all standing around this hut waiting for Steve to come. They sort of parted ways as he came uh, towards this hut. And they're all standing on the outside because there is a king cobra on the inside. Um, And now that's not a family pet, uh, typically, um, especially if it's, you know, cornered uh, in one of these rooms. And so so Steve very cautiously goes into this room to try and manipulate or drag the snake uh, out of... Uh, out of that hut. Uh, But no one else is going to go near the thing. Um, And so they send in the guy who they hope is going to be able to to capture the snake and get him off, remove the snake from the premises. Now for most of us, it certainly doesn't take a king cobra to keep us well outside the room. It may only take something like uh, a black widow spider or a little scorpion. And we are well away We have no problem uh, standing back. But as we read the response of the people of Israel here, it makes things like snakes and crocodiles and spiders and scorpions seem tame in comparison. Here is the presence of the Almighty God on the mountain. 
And there's thunder and lightning and smoke enveloping the mountain. It's language we've heard before in the previous chapter in Exodus 19. And all of these sights and sounds are continuing as God speaks and gives His word to the people. The voice of the Creator God. They were close, close enough uh, to get their knees knocking, to keep them well back from the mountain of God. Uh, so there's a real fear that, that they were going to die in His presence. And so they turn to Moses. They turn to the one whom God has appointed uh, to lead them, to speak for them uh, in the wilderness. And Moses' response in conjunction with their reaction is what I really want us to consider for a few minutes. He tells them not to fear, that they do not need to be afraid, but at the same time that they need to fear. They are right to fear God, but they do not need to be afraid. So we're going to look at the complementary difference uh, in, in the fear and what that, what that means for us. For the people at Sinai, there's both a warning and a welcome to this fear. Warning, as we draw near to God, welcome as God draws near to us. So fear is a built-in response. I think that's something we all know and experience. It's one of the basic motivations for our behavior. Uh, there are things that scare us and should scare us as part of our moral existence. Okay? If the neighborhood is in the path of a tornado, then there's a fear that kicks in. It should move us to take action, to take cover. If the temperature outside drops to 50 below zero, as it has for many uh, up north, uh, there's fear that keeps you inside. So at the base of Mount Sinai, the, the people are ready to faint in fear. They back away because it's just too much. You know, they, can't, they can't stand it anymore. They have to get away. I was thinking it, maybe it's something like you go to your first concert or you go to an amusement park where you have all the sights and the sounds and the smell and it's just bombarding you. Eventually, you just have to get some space. It's too much. And it's more than just a sensory overload here. The people have a real awareness of the strength and power and perfection of God. He has just given him his absolute and enduring moral standard. So if they're going to keep covenant with this God, this king who has delivered them is going to require total allegiance and commitment to the laws that he demands. This God is powerful. He's more, more than capable of enforcing this law that he has given. Great preacher Charles Spurgeon made this comment. In some respects, this scare at Mount Sinai was a prophecy. If not a rehearsal of the day of judgment, the lawgiver will judge all the world at the last day. And who can stand? Certainly the people of Israel could not stand. They're ready to faint at this encounter with a holy, righteous, and perfectly wrathful God. Chapter uh, 1 of the Institutes of the Christian Religion, uh, John Calvin writes, We must infer that man is never sufficiently touched and affected by the awareness of his lowly state until he has compared himself with God's majesty. And where we find descriptions of God's wisdom, power, purity... 
think Exodus 20 would fit well there. Maybe Isaiah 40. It overwhelms men with their own stupidity, impotence, and corruption. So the glory and the majesty and the power of God shows us just how powerless we are. That's why Calvin starts his whole work in the Institutes beginning to to understand the Creator God. Not until we grasp Him and all of His majesty and glory do we begin to understand ourselves rightly. And this power and majesty and purity, that's not something that has changed from the Old Testament moving into the New Testament era. God's character has not changed. He hasn't in some way gone soft in the New Testament. For He's just all love and mercy and compassion without any wrath and judgment. Now the way God relates to His people has changed. But His character and all of the attributes that describe His character have not changed. So we we need to hear this warning this morning. Perhaps we need to hear it more today than ever before. I think of the way that we've just prayed. Some of the things that were shared. We, We cannot approach God on our own terms. The Almighty God, the infinite, all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful in the physical realm, all-powerful in the spiritual realm, all-powerful in the glories of heaven, all-powerful in the torment of hell, this God is unapproachable. You could say He's a threat to any who would consider coming to Him through the law, through their own merit, through their perceived goodness. Obedience to God. I mean, that really should be a terrifying reality. The the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. The Apostle Paul writes to the early church. So let's be careful that we don't get too comfortable with God that we no longer fear before Him. That we we can start to presume upon His grace. You know, his common grace to all, his saving grace, and believe him to be sort of this big teddy bear or this Santa Claus in the sky that we can sort of hop on his lap anytime, anywhere. We need to let the Bible shape our view of God, calibrate that understanding. Because when we start to think of the Creator God as just another person or another creature like, like you and me, then we lose our fear of Him. And any desire to obey or even see the need to obey. And Paul says in Romans chapter 3, under the reign of sin, there is no fear of God before their eyes. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sins. Did you catch that? Through the law, no access. So if we do not fear God, if we dare approach Him through the law, then we have every reason to be frightened of Him. Okay, we're, we're, that's where we're left. We're left trembling at the base of Mount Sinai with the perfect law of God before us and the most powerful and perfect judge to enforce it. But hear the distinction. There's a fear of God and there's being afraid of God. And so Moses says in verse 20, 
don't be afraid. Don't be frightened, but fear before Him. So there's a warning. There's power here to destroy, but God is not here to destroy. He's present on the mountain to to encourage, welcome their obedience to Him. He's testing them, training them in their obedience. So this fear is to drive them, not destroy them. Drive them to respond in worship. We hear this in so many other places in the Scriptures. Psalm 2 is an example. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned. O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Again in Psalm 5. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. So even though the people are shaking in their boots, are they really listening? This is the God who has rescued them. The God who has provided for them in the wilderness. He's brought them safe thus far. Are they moved to obey Him? Think later in Deuteronomy 6. Moses will reiterate, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. That you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God. You and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments. There's a reverent and holy fear of God. But if this fear is really going to be a welcome, the people are going to need help. They have to have help. And we find that they do have it in verse 19 and 21. You think, well, why do pe- what do people typically do when they're in trouble with the law? Maybe they're broken the law or they know they can't keep the law and they're, maybe they're in the courtroom before the judge. What do they do? You know, maybe they turn to someone like Boyd, a lawyer. You know, turn, turn to someone who can be a, a legal advocate, a mediator for them. can actually speak for them. And that's what the people do in this case. The Lord has given them a mediator in Moses and for the moment... They think this is a very, very good idea. They really value this. Moses, you speak to us. You're, you're more like us. You, you tell us what God tells you. But don't let Him speak to us. He's unapproachable in power and perfection. And so by the grace of God, Moses is able to continue up the mountain. He's not destroyed. He draws near to God. He is the mediator. He's drawing near as their representative speaks the word of God to them. We hear this again in Deuteronomy 5. where Moses shares, The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up into the mountain. So Moses stands between the Lord and the people. He was their access to God. The voice of God to them. So church family, here's where we need to start. He's unapproachable. There is no access to God without an advocate. Without a mediator. So in short, there is no access to God apart from the Gospel. We cannot keep this law. We cannot live in perfect obedience and absolute allegiance to all these covenant obligations that we spent the last many weeks and months looking at, talking about. 
The law condemns us and we stand at a distance in terror. Do we get to a place like Romans chapter 8? Here's something that is just absolutely remarkable. Listen to these words. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. So the law and our flesh, our inability to obey it that has condemned us, that's what keeps us in terror, but that is what has been fulfilled in Jesus. So we're no longer condemned. The law no longer has power to convict us. We have an advocate, a mediator, the very Son of God Himself. Listen to what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for us, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So Jesus goes to God, offering perfect obedience to the law for us. The perfect sacrifice to satisfy God's holy wrath for us. For our sin. And so we, we thank God, we praise Him for this. And we can truly say, as we sung earlier, He has hushed the law's loud thunder. He's quenched Mount Sinai's flame. See, we don't live in Exodus 20 anymore. We have not come to Mount Sinai in Hebrews 12 that we read. We've come to Mount Zion. Not not trembling with fear, but drawing near through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. So as you put your faith in Christ, as you live a life of faith in union with the Lord Jesus, the law is no longer a terror. It no longer keeps us from God, but drives us to Him in worship and obedience. Puritan pastor Samuel Bowden said this well. He says, The law sends us to the gospel for our justification. The gospel sends us to the law to frame our way of life. See, now we want to obey. Now we get to obey. Because we love Him. He's made a way. He's made a way for us to approach Him. And when we mess up, we break the heart of God through our disobedience and our rebellion. Jesus hasn't. We're still justified in His presence. We still have access. So we cry out to the Lord Jesus, thank you for being our mediator. Just think of the magnitude of God's grace in this. Jesus teaches us and applies God's law to our hearts by the very working of the Holy Spirit. Spirit that continues to tell us and remind us that we are children of God. As adopted children, we're not afraid. We don't fear the punishment of our God, even as He disciplines us as a perfect Heavenly Father. His love for us in Jesus, it just drives that fear away. You can go to 1 John chapter 4. Think of how the disciples respond. Very similar way to the people of Israel. In Matthew 17, they fall on their face in terror at the voice of God. But their mediator is there. Jesus is there. And he, he reaches out and He touches them on that mountain. I mean, the very, the very comfort, comforting hand of God 
They feel. And he says, have no fear. Brothers and sisters, those words, those words are yours. Our faith is refreshed. May, may you be comforted by your mediator and king who says, fear not. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So the fear we see in this passage, it's, it's good. Both the warning and the welcome are good. It should move the people. It should, should move us to a greater obedience. I've made reference to C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia before. Um, there's a conversation uh, between Lucy and Susan, Peter is in there, uh, between these children and the beavers that capture so well the fear of God. How we understand this. Um, I'm going to read that for you. This is that conversation, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Is, is he a man? said Lucy. Aslan a man? said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who, the, who is the king of the beasts? Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Well, that you will, dearie. And no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I'm longing to see him, said Peter even if I do feel frightened when it comes to the point. God's people are learning slowly. We are continuing to learn that He's not safe, but He is good. He has made a way. He's given us a mediator that is more powerful than Moses, that we can approach Him now. We can draw near to the living God. In fear, but not frightened in terror. See, now we want to see Him. Now we want to worship. Now we want to serve Him because there is, there is great protection with this power. There is trust in the trembling. And oh, there is love in this law. Let's thank Him for that. Lord, we do praise You. The Lord of heaven and earth that we come not trembling in fear, but we come in awe before Your throne. Because You've given us Yourself. You've given us a mediator. So much more powerful than Moses. You speak for us. You stand for us, Lord Jesus. And so we thank You. Lord, fill us. Renew within us a, a sense of awe and a healthy fear of You, our God. A fear that drives us, not away from You, but drives us to You in worship and obedience. We ask Your help in this this day. In Christ's name, Amen.